How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Hello there, good morning, good evening, wherever you are, welcome to another episode of uh, How I Got Here. These are the inside stories, as we know, behind travel startups and innovation. I'm Kevin May uh, for Focus Why, and I'm joined as always by David Litwack. For this episode, we are really thrilled uh, to be joined by Stuart Chryson. He's the co-founder and CEO at Clear Trip, which has its roots in India from uh, way back, it probably now seems, for <laughs> to Stuart back in 2006. Uh, online travel agency um, has done extremely well over the years, uh, raised around 100 million, um, which actually some might argue these days is a fairly modest amount of money given the, uh, the venture capital uh, cash that's swilling around the industry these days. But uh, yeah, 100 million uh, since 2006. Uh, the company's now actually based in the Middle East, where Stuart is, and uh, they're off. You know, as I said, its spiritual home is is in India. But the success of the company since it uh, it uh, took a focus into the Middle East operations is obviously why the company has shifted over to there. So um, thank you very much for joining us, Stuart. Uh, you're joining us from Japan today. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, right. So uh, with all of our episodes, we, we like to ask uh, our guests to give us a kind of a, a succinct answer to the question. Just tell us, how did you get here, Stuart? Uh, okay, well, back in... 1997, which is even further back, um, I ended up in India um, for a, what was going to be a short spell in an in industry related to to the energy sector. Spent a bunch of time there, sort of fell in love with India and the, the sort of accelerated story is got very interested in the travel opportunity there and ended up uh, trying to get an, uh, an OTA off the ground in the late 90s, was very unsuccessful, revisited that in about 2004 with my co-founders, and that's, uh, that was really the start of ClearTrip, which we, we launched in 2006. That's a, that's a brilliantly short answer. We usually get to one to the, a lot longer than that, so that's great. Now we've got more time for questions. So you know, does it feel, <laughs> actually, that, does 2006 actually feel like quite a long time ago now, given that... Yes, it is 13 years, of course, but, you know, that can feel like generations in internet years these days, can't it? Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, yes, every year we, you know, we have our sort of annual celebrations and, you know, July the 4th, strangely enough, uh, is when we launched in 2006. So I'm, I'm, always, uh, I'm always running out of things to say about, uh, about what it was like when we started because it seems so far ago. But on the other hand, it's gone so enormously quickly and uh you know you you spend so much time completely immersed in what you're doing in the trenches so to speak that very very rarely do you get a chance to pull your head up and and look over and, and see what's going on so yes it's long in some senses but in but in others it, it feels like yesterday really and, t- and tell us you referenced there when you were giving us your 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 brief spiel on how you got here you said you you tried to launch an online travel agency business a few years beforehand. Can you just give us a kind of some background and detail on that kind of first attempt, if we can call it that, and what happened and what you, I guess, what you kind of learned from that? Yeah, well, I, th- I think the first thing which should be very clear is I knew nothing about travel. 
and um, myself and my uh, my colleague uh, actually put a business plan together at back then that was called EasyGo, which you may remember from uh, sort of Cox and King's days of, of sort of over the last few years. Um, and Cox and King's were indeed a partner of ours, and 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 we wrote that and we tried to get that off the ground. Unfortunately, it was a sort of the uh, the back end of the of the sort of first internet uh, explosion, if you like, in India, and and I think more importantly, there really wasn't any infrastructure on the ground in India to support um, our type of business. There wasn't any really mobile infrastructure. There was no banking infrastructure. Um, you know, the dial-ups and, and etc. were extremely uh, choppy. Um, and and so from that perspective, we really had almost like a storefront, but a, a huge offline. Uh, business model that was sort of being engineered behind that storefront to to give the illusion, I think, of being an internet business. And from that <laughs> perspective, it was uh, it was very very tricky. But you know that that wasn't unusual back then. Frankly, a lot of businesses were like that. But I think that and the timing and the fact that we didn't know very much about travel probably all coincided to make it a very unsuccessful uh, venture for us at that point. And I mean, who were you looking towards? I mean, uh, around that time, you had. Uh, Expedia was probably off the ground in the US and starting to uh, make some moves on Europe and obviously you know Brent and Martha what they were doing with lastminute.com and did you with the first thing that you were looking at did you have kind of one eye on those brands to see how they were doing it or did you think the market was so different in in India that you had to kind of forge your own path? Well, yeah, I think they were definitely inspiration. But as I said, I think the you know the the, the sort of uh, infrastructure available in Europe and the US relative to the infrastructure that was available then in India were completely different. And as I said, I think we we aspired to be like an Expedia or a Last Minute to some degree, um, and and uh, that was always our ambition. But the practicalities of trying to get it off the ground in India were were very challenging for for everything I I mentioned earlier. And so how long did you give it before you kind of, if, if dare I say, gave up? Yeah, well, fortunately, it wasn't that long. <laughs> so <laughs> we, uh, we spent probably about a year, uh, maybe a little over a year, uh, and really focused on, on trying to make this work. Yeah, and we, we also, I mean, we raised, we, we, we got involved with uh, an investment bank. We went out there to try and raise capital and, you know, the, I, the conversations with, with the investors and et cetera back then was, was very odd. They were kind of looking at us like we're a little bit crazy. Um, we were two foreigners in India trying to make this work, which is even more, you know, amusing to most people. So, you know, there's a combination of things that just meant that we were really not going to be very successful, I think. And that and, turned and, out to be the case, strangely. And, and is this the, <laughs> was this with Matthew that you did this one with? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, so Matthew, for those who don't know, was the, the chief operating officer of Cox and Kings back then. Um, he had a great sort of offline uh, understanding of how travel was, and he, he'd obviously operated in the UK and, and India. So yeah, I, I relied on him totally to to explain all the all the complications <laughs> around travel. So he was he was great. And, and, and obviously the, the, the experience of that first one didn't uh, kind of put you off each other because you know here you are. Uh, I guess what twenty years later, after launching Clear Trip, and you're still working together. Yeah, well, he 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 sort of um, moved on from Clear Trip many many years ago, and, and right. he he set up a, a really impressive thing called Magic Bus, which is a very large MGO yep. in in our part of the world, 
Um, but yeah, look, he's 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 a great mate, and and uh, you know we're, we're very fortunate to 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 work together. So uh, yeah. Stuart David here. First of all, thanks for joining us today. Um, I had a, a fairly simple question, which is, um, could you elaborate on what some of the key differences between operating in India versus, you know, someplace like Europe or America? And I imagine there are issues around cash payment, you know, level of rail penetration and, you know, mozios and mobility. I know there's a bit of a long distance taxi industry that exists in India that doesn't exist very many other places. So I'd love if we could delve a little into kind of how you thought about how to attack the market in India versus elsewhere. Well, I think um, the, the the main focus for us, certainly in the early days, was was two things: was was the air market, domestic air market, and the sort of domestic hotel market. So this is obviously going back for two thousand six to two thousand and eight. The the um, air market went through a a I guess deregulation by the government, and we saw this in uh, very uh, accelerated increase of of low cost carriers coming to the market, and up to that point there'd really just been a sort of an Air India and a Jet Airways story that had been playing out. So the, the air market completely transformed. The interesting thing is that the, the, the expansion was really being led by, you know, the Air Deccans and, and the Spices and the Indigos later on, et cetera. And, and, and there were a number of others that, that are no longer here. And so all these airlines were coming on. They were, they were not using the GBS. And so you had a very fragmented market in terms of how you're accessing this content, um, you know, the, the, just the, the construct and architecture of how the air market was being built. I think that in some contexts was quite different from Europe. The, the accommodation market was, was the wild west. I mean, this was uh, completely fragmented over a very, very large area such as India, no technology infrastructure on the ground. And so it was a, a very complex, um, nascent industry that we were trying to organize and bring on at the same time as organizing a very rapidly going, growing and rapidly transforming air market. So these were the two focus areas. I mean, later on in ClearTrip, we got involved in, you know, a bunch of other things, activities and transportation and buses. Um, rail, rail was always quite unique. It was always something that we, we were very keen on. Um, but obviously being a, a government entity was not an easy thing to bring online. Um, it was you know, largely operated and, and a monopoly in that position. Uh, what we did with rail was we said, look, well, if we can't get the booking functionality because of you know, just, just the, the evolution of that product uh, in, in India, what we could do was build what we thought was a really seamless search experience for, for users out there. And I think ClearTrip has done a great job on that with, with other products. And so we built rail from a perspective of search and discovery. Um, and then it was later on that the, the, the government opened it up and we were able to get the APIs and plug book into rail. But, you know, even then, it was always a fairly difficult product to build out, just given some of the complexities that, that you know, were involved in working directly with the government and, and how they wanted to run the business. So we were always terribly excited about it, um, but it never really fulfilled the potential that we thought it had. Uh, in our business, and I think to be fair, in most other uh, competing businesses as well. So it's a it's a product that that still has a lot of potential in my mind that hasn't quite been uh, quite been realised. It's, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, I, I asked you whether you were, you know, what you were looking at at the you know the Expedias of this world and things like that. I mean, you had another you know Make My Trip had already launched in in India. I mean. Was there anything that they had done that you kind of learned from or you thought, 
maybe we should do that slightly differently, given that they, uh, you know, they were the other kind of major competitor. Well, I think in some sense it's probably everything, right? I mean, they they had been in the U.S. Uh, been in the U.S. and and uh, you know focused on that market for for I don't know five or six years. They they pretty much got out the door a year, a year and a half earlier than us in the domestic market in India, and and you know obviously uh, Deep and Care and Gang have done a, done an amazing job. From our perspective, we we always felt. Um, that the product was the the primary focus, and I think that's what ClearTrip kind of got known for the the experience, the user experience specifically, but the kind of the kind of um, I suppose innovations that we brought into the product. We always saw that as being very very different to um, some of our competitors out there at the time. And of course, M Make My Trip was out there. We had Yatra coming out at the same time as us. We had. Uh, Brands like Travel Guru, I don't know if you remember these yeah. guys, and a few others that were, were coming out at the same time. And, and, you know, many of them had reasonably, you know, strong venture backing. So it was, it was a, a different approach in terms of the product and how we wanted to build. We wanted to be 100% online. We didn't want to go offline. There were a lot of hybrid models that were being built out at that time. Um, so from that perspective, it was very different. And then on the other side, you had this uh, this huge influx of capital coming in, um, not only into businesses like online travel, but I mentioned earlier the the sort of new airlines and and the explosion of the low cost carrier industry in India as well, and that was bringing in enormous amounts of capital. So you had this sort of uh, carpet bombing, for want of a better word, of India in terms of marketing, uh, just driving new consumers online or in some capacity to at least search online and maybe end up booking offline. And so I, I always felt that the, the product experience kind of got left behind in the search for, for eyeballs. And that's something that I think at ClearTrip, we, we always felt quite uh, focused on and, and hopefully that's reflected in what we ended up building. Yeah, interesting. I wanted to quickly just ask a follow-up there. You said you guys resisted becoming a hybrid model. And I know Uber had to change a lot of the way they operated when they entered India. They couldn't be fully digital. They had to accept cash in, in <laughs> some form or fashion. Um, you know, how did you weigh uh, kind of meeting the market where it was versus uh, forcing the market to move, move with you? Yeah, for us, that was quite easy because uh, we, we just took a completely uh, negative view on the offline market, right? So we, our view was that that offline market was coming online. There was there was a significant amount of investment being made to bring people online, whether that's you know, as I said, through through supply or through competitors or through other emerging digital businesses. And our job was to really um, serve those customers in an online environment. Now that didn't mean that we discriminated against other people. It's just saying that that was the the focus of our product, and we felt that if there were more than enough people catering to that sort of hybrid online offline challenge in India. For us, it was very much about once they're online, then they become a target customer of ClearTrip, and that's how we uh, that's how we focus on it. And we did. It's not not like we didn't try, right? We had agents. We've, we've done a whole bunch of stuff, right? We had agency models out there. We we've got a variety of different sort of corporate models out there. Um, you know, cash as a payment, etc. You know, a whole variety of. Uh, of different sort of payment options, EMI, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but for us, you know, the thing that's always worked is, is just that very, very you know, singular focus in the online customer and, and, and working with them directly. 
Now, I, I, Stuart, I'm not entirely sure of my kind of search engine history when it comes to India. I know <laughs> a lot about how Google has kind of come to the fore in 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 you know the North America and uh, and Europe, of course. I mean, what was your can you talk us through kind of customer acquisition back in the early days when you were, you know, you, you obviously a consumer facing business. So how, how were you trying to get people in through the front door? Was it through traditional search engines or a search engine or were there other methods that you used? It was in the early days, very heavy in traditional offline marketing. I, I remember <laughs> so when, when we, when we, uh, when we launched, the day we launched, we took out a full, term, uh, full page ad in the Times of India. And for those that, that don't know, Times of India is a massive, is the largest English speaking newspaper uh, in India. And it was literally sort of launching Clear Trip. And uh, it was also heavy, heavy monsoon at that time. So, and uh, you know, we, we uh, I think by three or four o'clock in the morning, the site hadn't gone live. We were coding and trying to get this thing up because largely because this full page ad was coming out you know literally an hour's time and every every uh, every times of india across across the country and you know we we managed to get it out by about 5 30 you know exhausted from sort of 48 hours of just trying to get this stuff off the ground and and then nothing happened literally nothing happened i mean we thought at that point that was job done right take out big ad put site up two will marry with each other and everyone will get it and nothing happened and that, that, that went on for about six hours. And then we, then we got a knock at our door. Um, and we, we were really living in a very obscure place in, in Bandra, uh, up in a certain part of Bombay. We got some knock on the door, bearing in mind that it was flooded outside, pouring with rain. And there's some guy, so we open it, there's some guy uh, standing there wanting to buy a ticket. And it just, you know, <laughs> that, was, that just said everything to me. It was like, you know, maybe there's an awful lot we still don't know. Um, but anyway, we, we, uh, so our first customer was an offline customer who, who literally paid cash uh, based on seeing an ad in the newspaper uh, for, for ClearTrip, which was a pure online model. So that, was, just, uh, that was the experience. But, yeah, <laughs> so you, right, had, yeah. so you, had the, you had the office address on the ad or was it on the site? And then he'd looked on the site and come to you physically or? Yeah, yeah, I think probably both. I mean, as I said, <laughs> there was so much we didn't know. <laughs> so it was just—it was just a recipe of not how not to launch your business, basically. So uh, I, I'm fascinated by this. So if I can follow uh, did, up there, did, well, what did oh, work then? Yeah, what yeah. did work? Uh, obviously, that wasn't a <laughs> successful uh, endeavor. Well, we made ourselves really hard to find after that. <laughs> so, you know, who knows? We could have, we could have, we could have been wildly successful in the first year, but no one could find us. So uh, eventually people were forced online to try and find us, I think. So at that point, you did consider just opening a, a bricks and mortar travel agency for those waifs and strays who wanted to come and give you cash for a ticket. It was discussed. It was discussed. <laughs> it didn't last very long. But yeah, there was, a, I remember, you know, most of our conversations used to happen, you know, in the wee hours of the morning. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that was discussed. So just, so you did this one ad in the Times of India. Then what did you do? Did you just wait for a viral effect or did you suddenly realize that maybe you should try other methods? You know, we, uh, we dug, and this wasn't just us as well, as I mentioned earlier, there was a lot going on uh, in India at that time. And so we had a, we had a pretty uh, comprehensive relationship with the offline media. Um, we invested, uh, you know, quite heavily in things like TV 
uh, at that time. Um, you know, if you go back on you know YouTube, you can see some of our first sort of TV commercials. But it was an expensive process building you know these types of businesses back then. And obviously later, then you know on online and search marketing and 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 everything else become much more prevalent. But I would say, you know, in the first few years, it was very dependent on partnerships and th and those partnerships were everywhere right i mean at the time you had all these new airlines coming in that that wanted to partner with people like ourselves to 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 just drive their own stories so from that perspective there was an awful lot to talk about in the offline media uh, world and it was quite interesting uh, but then you just kind of got incredibly creative i mean we had ads that you know people were winning cars you know, if they booked on Clear Trip and all sorts of strange things going on. And, and there didn't seem to be anything off limits in the first few years in terms of how to promote your business in India. So it was a, it was a very odd time in that sense. Uh, in, in, a, in a way, that does kind of mirror the history a little of lastminute.com. They, you know, Brent and Martha were very much into their kind of doing things slightly differently to raise the profile, arguably. And, you know, so I suppose because you had other competitors, did, was that a deliberate strategy to do things slightly off the wall perhaps? I would like to say yes, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think to be honest, we were all probably doing something quite similar. As I said, that, that seemed to be the only way to, to, to reach out to customers back then. So I think we had a very, we kind of mirrored a lot of what was going on in, in the offline print and TV and everything else, as I said. I think the distinction between ClearTrip and others really came to when people came online, the kind of product experience we, we, we had. You know, ours was a very simplistic, um, you know, all we obsessed about at that time was getting people through the purchase path as quickly as possible. As I said, the internet infrastructure was very choppy, the payments infrastructure was very choppy, and so we wanted to create as, you know, as minimal fuss and as, as limited failures in that experience as we could. And that's why we had this very sort of pure uh, interface that was very functional, almost like a utility in, 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 in probably a better term than some of our other competitors out there that were very intimidating in their experience, right? The, the sort of flashing ads and colors and, and everything else. And I think in hindsight, I'm, I'm you know, the, I think the, the Indian consumer probably responded more to, to the masala, if you like, that was available on lots of these sites than the sort of the sort of clean, pure, functional site that we had. We would get emails basically asking us whether we had finished building it yet. So <laughs> that, that's how uh, that's how out of touch we were in some ways. Um, but later on, I think it became it became our, our, our clear USP. But early on, it was you know, if I book on your site, will it work? Because you know, there's no colours on it or anything. So oh, you know, we quite, were almost <laughs> compelled to put a Colgate ad on there or something. That's quite crushing in a way, isn't it? If someone says to you, "Have you finished building it?" and this is your shiny new toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by that time, we've been battered so much that really we were somewhat immune to these types of things. Right, okay, David. Yeah, no, I have a pretty simple question. Um, do you have any other lost in translation moments like that? I feel like these are these are great gems, and I feel like one of the reasons we're doing this is because so many travel founders can't imagine uh, parts of the travel industry um, that yeah. aren't derived from their backpacking around Europe and college, or you know, or parts of the world that they haven't lived in. And just yeah, I mean, like anything else uh, on the on the lost in translation moments? Oh, there's. Put me on the spot a bit here now. I mean, I, I I go back again to those early days, and I think once we uh once we got our first round of funding, so we raised I think our first round of funding 
in about September 2005. And the first thing we did was we said, right, we've got to, um, there was no really strong technology on the ground in India at that time. So we thought, well, the answer to that is to go and get sort of best in class uh, technology from the US. So, which is what we did. So, we 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 partnered with. Um, I won't say their name because uh, it might all end up horribly. But we partnered with a technology provider in the U.S. that was being quite successful in providing to airlines and and you know, travel businesses. Um, but we were so irrelevant that we were the last thing on their priority list. And of course, the time difference meant that every one of our conversations was happening at pretty much three in the morning India time. And so, again, within within months of of uh, of partnering with these guys, we put our first request in for sort of changes in taxation and various other things, and uh, yeah, we we just we just basically got kicked into touch, and then we we got all stroppy, and that 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 almost ended up in a first our first legal encounter before we'd even got off the ground. Um, so I don't think that's ever really been resolved. And then we came <laughs> back to India and said, well, look, you know, we can't solve it using technology from a, a more sophisticated market. Maybe there's something in India. So we found a B2B product that, uh, you know, was there, but really that wasn't scalable in a consumer uh, term. So we ended up sort of re-architecting all of that. And then we, then that, that lasted for about, I don't know, three months. And then we just threw everything out and said, look, we just got to try and build this from scratch ourselves because, you know, it's, uh, it's the only way forward. And I'm glad we did that. But we then, we then took the, the, the great decision to build everything in Lisp um, as, a, as a coding language. And what we didn't know at that time was there was literally only about three Lisp engineers in the whole of India. So after we had, you know, that, that story about getting, getting the business off the ground and putting it out there uh, for that launch and that, that, that uh, newspaper ad that was coming out, you know, we then tried to scale in Lisp. And literally, we, we already had all of those three engineers. So every day we would come in and say, don't you have any friends? What do you guys do? <laughs> Just hire your friends, right? And they were going, yeah, but nobody likes Lisp. It's too intellectual, whatever. Anyway, so that, that, that ended very badly. So we had then had to throw that out and then rebuild again in something that was, you know, ultimately was the, the bedrock of what we did. So my point is, for the first year, we were a car crash of mistakes on how to build out the sort of, you know, the, the technology and the functionality and as everything else is going on, right, in, in this crazy, crazy environment. So anyway, there's a lesson of what not to do, I think. <laughs> and when did you um, decide you needed to code everything in something else? Was it when you... When you, there were no more people that you could hire to help you. No, literally, that was it. <laughs> that was it. I mean, either we were going to have to set up a university for this, <laughs> right? And, and, and subsidize all of these new people coming in, which seemed like a, a very you know, big departure from the business model that we set out to do. <laughs> or we were just going to have to throw in the towel and, and, and try and build something a little bit more sensible. So, yeah, that was, that was it, right? So t tell us, you, you raised uh, 100 million uh, talk to us a little bit about the differences from those early days when you were talking to investors about, you know, the clear trip story and how easy or perhaps not easy it's been in more recent years when you've been talking to investors. Obviously, you've got growth and you've got expansion and stuff like that. But, you know, the market around you is always constantly changing as well. So I'd imagine the investor questions are different as well. So can you give us a sense of uh, the early days and what it's been a little bit more like recently? Yeah, so I think back in 2005, 2006, you know, you could have largely been selling anything online and raised capital for it. Because I think at that point, 
there was only one story, and that was this gargantuan opportunity of this billion-plus population that existed in India. And I think investors at that point were very um, were very keen to, to to get into that story. Although none of us really understood that sort of billion population and what it translated to in terms of transactions or users or anything else. It was just a very simple headline. And so raising money at, at, at the start, when I think about that series A, B, and C type environment, was generally quite straightforward. Um, and, but of course, it was nothing like the scale of series A, B, and C that, that, that you see today and you referenced earlier on. I mean, the, the our series A was three and a half, series B was eight or so, um, and, and series C was a little more. But um, there, but you know, fast forward to sort of 2008, 2009, and you know, you had seen this first wave of, of of internet businesses in India. You know, the Barzis of the world that got sold onto eBay, etc. Um, and I think investors started to get a little bit more, had a lot more clarity as, as to what the Indian market was, where it was going, how long it would take to build, and that that put a massive, um, and of course, you know, that that coincided with a lot of stuff going on outside of India as well. So that had a, a real impact on on you know the scarcity of funding, um, and then I think the next round of funding, once you know the world corrected itself a little bit, became a lot harder. Um, a because I think there were there were a lot many different choices in India. It wasn't just travel now at this time. There were other businesses that were opening up um, that presented an opportunity. So there was more competition for for, for resources, um, and I think investors the second time around were much more thoughtful around the kind of investment they were making. And so, you know, you, you had to be able to demonstrate a, a sustainable and, and interesting business model, specifically in, in businesses like ours that have been out, out operating for a few years. We were no longer necessarily just the idea, which you can take a big bet on. Um, you know, we had, you know, should, God forbid I say it, revenue and, you know, EBITDA sort of stories playing out. And um, that, that had an impact on, on capital raising, yeah. Or would there have been any kind of um, more pressure on you to perform and grow, given that, you know, there was this, you know, the brick economies, I think was the phrase that was often used, isn't it? Brazil, Russia, India, and China, and the, the, the super hyper-growth countries that are going to fuel the next wave of the uh, world economics and things like that. Do you think investors were expecting you to perhaps perform better than they would have done in other markets because there was this sudden focus on the, the brick economies? I think there was always a, an expectation that that would be the case. I don't think I ever remember it being explicitly um, discussed. Right. But, you know, I think that the very nature that they're putting money into these economies suggests that, you know, they want to take advantage of that, of that you know, opportunity that, that everyone saw. And that's, that, that, as I said, that translated into, into a lot of cash being available um, from, from many different, uh, different sources. Yeah, I, I would say that probably in my memory that, that it, wasn't, it wasn't, you know, so, so clear that that's what they were coming to do. But, you know, the undertone was, was pretty evident, I think, yeah. Uh, give us a your detail on the um, you know the decision to expand and you know focus well not focus but also give as much focus as you did in India to the Middle East, which is you know as we said in the intro there it's where you live now and it's you know a lot a lot of the uh, the company is based there. What was the thinking behind that? Given that you know some might say well 
there's a lot of potential growth in India. It's the second most populous country on earth. Yeah, I think part of it was was accidental and part of it was strategic. And so around the sort of time, around about 2010, there was a lot going on in India. There was this, we started to see this, this shift into mobile. And it was around that time that we, we put out, which was the first mobile product, which was a basic sort of HTML for point-to-point domestic air uh, solution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we were very bullish on the future of mobile. And again, rightly or wrongly, we felt that a, an overwhelming product experience would be the, uh, the obvious choice for consumers, right? Because people moving, or certainly the early adopters moving from offline to, to online or even, from, sorry, from desktop to, to mobile, we're, we're going to evangelize the, the high level of product experience. We're starting to see international brands now a lot more in India across many different businesses. So the benchmarking product experience got elevated substantially. And so we started seeing a lot of usage on our mobile products. And a lot of that usage was coming out of, um, uh, of the Middle East and to some extent our desktop as well. And we never really considered the Middle East. We were very focused on what was going on in India. Anyway, we got to a point where the, the, the sort of transaction volume coming out of the Middle East was meaningful. So we said, look, let's just go in and set up a, a, a small team on the ground there that we could support those customers. And that's what we did. So we, we set up in Dubai. Um, and then on the, on the sort of flip side in India, we started to see a, a, a new phase of, of hyper investment and hyper growth. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, we just didn't have the culture within ClearTrip to be able to compete with what was going on in the ground in terms of, uh, you know, investment to, to acquire customers. And I think in many ways, what, what we saw over the last five, six, seven, eight years was just this huge investment in, in customer acquisition around things like accommodation and, just, you know, specifically around accommodation. And that just, that just made it very difficult for us to go toe to toe with our competitors. We had a, an, a set of investors that were, I guess, more conservative than, than others. And, you know, despite us uh, for a period of time sort of saying, let's not give up the opportunity that we've created, um, we weren't really able to do that. So, you know, we have a very pure product view on things. We had early signs of life coming from the Middle East. We had the realization that we didn't have the balance sheet or the appetite amongst our, our investors to, to build off what we've built in, in India and go toe to toe because that was going to cost a lot of money. Um, and so all of those things kind of got us to have a, a bit of a rethink. So we, you know, we built out finally all of this technology that, that we thought was unique. Um, we built out a great set of products and features, uh, in our business, stress tested under a very demanding, uh, Indian audience. Um, and if we couldn't, if we couldn't expand in the Indian market in the way that we wanted to, we sort of said, well, look, is there an opportunity to take this technology product feature set into other markets that perhaps are not demonstrating anything near the sort of competitive intensity of India and, and use that as a growth engine rather than, than the very expensive growth engine in India. So that was really what led us into the Middle East. And once we got into the Middle East, um, we realized then that there was a, a big opportunity, specifically within the GCC and MENA generally. We, we, you know, obviously the Expedia's and the bookings, et cetera, were, were there, but they were large, largely servicing an inbound market into, the, into those markets. But within the GCC and within MENA, there was an enormous amount of travel going on. And of course, there's an enormous amount of travel from South Asia 
into the Middle East. So we started focusing on trying to connect the dots um, within the GCC and MENA whilst leveraging the fact that our brand and the corridors of travel between South Asia and the Middle East was something that we were already very, very active in. And so it just made sense to, to, to you know, build that out and take advantage of that. To clarify you know, here, so it sounds like what you're saying is that the Middle East travel market was a lot more nascent uh, than India. So you were kind of able to run somewhat of the same playbook that you did in India, which is product going a lot farther and being able to spend minimally on uh, customer acquisition costs through search engine marketing, et cetera. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I would say in many ways, it was probably a better market for us because there was a, a you know, perhaps uh, a slightly different type of user profile. Um, there was higher spend. Um, so the unit economic story was better. The, the, the customer acquisition behavior was very, very different, again, impacting the, the unit economic story. Um, it was relatively well served in terms of certainly core markets like the UAE in terms of penetration and how sophisticated uh, the, you know, the, the online environment was. And that, that played into how, how we thought about you know, customer acquisition. If I go back to India, it was brute force, offline, um, very expensive traditional media. You know, when we came into the Middle East, it was, again, it was very brand focused but you were dealing with very concentrated pockets of customers. So, you know, we, you know, again, and, and the things not to do, we, when we went into the UAE after about a year or a couple of years, we took out what I think, and, and I made a bit of fact checking here at the time, was the world's largest outdoor um, media sign. So basically we, we just put a wrap down this skyscraper on Sheikh Zayed Road saying, you know, clear trip and, and all sorts of things. Now, that got a lot of strange eyeballs at the time, but it, it really helped propel us in, in those markets. Um, and clear trip as a brand, rather than just travel as a search term, became, became very active very, very quickly. And that had a whole, you know, a whole sort of impact on, on how we built out uh, our online marketing and just basically the efficiency of performance marketing in the region. That that was for, specifically for the UAE. Obviously, when Saudi is a, a very different market, and some of the surrounding GCC markets had nuances of that. But yeah, it was um, it was all of those things, right? So, could you say then that the, the banner on the skyscraper there was your Times of India moment for the Middle East? Yeah, although fortunately. Nobody came and found us. Everyone <laughs> went online. <laughs> well, <laughs> things so, have moved on. Things uh, have moved on a little bit by forward, then. Yeah, eight, eight or nine years, we cracked it. <laughs> so, uh, give us some. Um, you know, so you've launched into the into into the Middle East. How do you view the 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 root country where it all started? Now, I mean, how do you kind of focus? or divide the focus around the business? What are you doing in that sense, given that the Middle East has been a success for you? Well, if I look at our revenue today, our revenue is pretty much 50-50, right? So 50% of our revenue comes out of uh, the Middle East and 50% of our revenue comes out of India. The Middle East is growing a lot faster. Um, and so, you know, over the next few years, that, that, that sort of relationship will, will change. But for us, it's very much a, a part of a broader story. And I think, you know, the, the DNA and the, and the experience that we continue to have of building in India, um, which is still very competitive, the uh, sort of leadership position I think we've taken in, in the GCC and to some extent MENA is, is 
half the story, if you like. And I think that when we, when we talk internally, we talk about this opportunity in emerging markets. And for us, that emerging market uh, geography is the sort of India, Middle East, and Africa of the world. And I think if we can, um, to, you know, we're, we're, I guess we're two thirds of the way there right now. So if we can um, bring that, that technology, the, which is an emerging market architecture and internationalization of our platform, the products and features that I mentioned earlier, if we can bring that to customers at the right time in those developing markets, I think there's a huge opportunity for us because those products and features and technology are built in a way that, that is, uh, I guess, <clears throat> consistent with, with the evolution of these markets. And, you know, we very often see consumers in developing markets leapfrogging technologies, right, and, and going straight into things that are perhaps much harder to, to drive in more sophisticated markets. So how you think about the evolution of your, of your business and your product uh, changes a lot. And so for us, it, it, it's about making sure that we remain very relevant in India, which is a, a very important part of our emerging market story, continuing to, to, to build out on the leadership that we have in, in the Middle East. And rather like the, the relationship of these corridors of travel between South Asia and the Middle East, which gave us a, uh, an entry point, a, a more efficient entry point into those markets, see how we can now take the combination of India and the Middle East and look at uh, opportunities you know, in, in, in Africa. I mean, today we've got yeah, 300 odd people that, that sit in Cairo that do a, a bunch of stuff relevant to obviously supporting our Middle East business, but also at expanding uh, you know, across North Africa and, and hopefully soon into, into other parts of Africa as well. So that's really how we see it. So it's not a, it's not a, 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 a pivot into the Middle East. It's, it's a combination of these, these, these strategies working together that delivers what we think is an interesting emerging market uh, story. I just wanted to follow up on one word you use there, leapfrogging technologies. Uh, I, I remember the story of M-Pesa in Africa and how basically mobile banking actually caught on a lot quicker in Africa because they didn't have to uh, deal with all of the existing infrastructure of banks and all that security. And uh, I'm just curious, did you have something in particular in mind when you said, you know, leapfrogging technologies that have to do with travel? Have you had to experience that or do you think you might have to experience with Africa uh, shortly? Well, I think payments is a great opportunity, is a great example of that, right? And we, and we, we saw that in India. Um, you know, I think in a more traditional sense, just the the sort of leapfrogging of, of, of um, you know, fixed line communication into mobile and how that exploded in India is another example of that. I mean, I think today something like 80 to 85% of our, our search volume comes through all of our mobile stories. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's very, very different. How, how our mobile web products relate to our, our app products, right, in, in specific markets. Again, very, very different depending on the markets you're in. You know, you look at the Saudi market, which has an enormously high um, social usage, uh, you know, things like Facebook, et cetera. It's got a very, very, very young population. But there is a real shift there from, from luxury to affordability. And, you know, it's just changing the dynamic, I think, of how consumers interact. And, and again, we're having to relearn everything. You know, you cannot go out there into these markets with these types of customers and, you know, give them the same old traditional uh marketing story right you've got to de develop very different types of relationships we so for example we are uh, in saudi where we we partner with um through fly in with the the number one football team in asia um 
and you know it, it's it's how we interact with them and and their social audience that that drives a lot of that growth that we're seeing so there's still a lot to learn but i think these are unique things that we're seeing uh, in in our market the last couple Sorry? of kind of questions from us really i mean <coughs> we've spoken to a lot of um founders that have been around for five six seven eight nine years um how would you say just personally you kind of um i'm trying to think of, of, the, of the right phrase just kind of you know, keep the entrepreneurial juices flowing i mean what kind of what why do you stick around in the job is it because it is your baby in inverted commas and you're you, you're keen to just see how far it goes i mean it's 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 a it's a tough ride sometimes online travel and especially when you're expanding what what kind of keeps you going you know that's a that's a brilliant question because you know we've been doing this a while um and and i would say that we've we were we've been a startup in a number of different areas so you know it, it, that that period of becoming a startup whether it's in saudi whether it's in you know the the gcc whether it's in india whether it's what we're doing now in places like egypt etc is is an exhausting process um uh, but i think personally for me and and i and don't get me wrong i've had periods you know in the 13 14 years where i sort of said look you know surely there's something else i can do or you know maybe it's time to to bring in somebody that's a lot more competent into the role and and you know let them take care trip forward and everything else and i think on the latter point i i think that what we've been able to do at ClearTrip is build out a great team. And for now, uh, I, I'm really excited working with that team, but I recognize that, that may not, that may, there may be a time and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's nearer or, 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 or than, than we know, but where, you know, bringing somebody else into my role would be the right decision to, to take it on. For me personally, I'm still very motivated. I, I, I kind of feel like there's unfinished business and this, uh, this, this emerging market opportunity that I was talking about earlier and how we, you know, the sort of internal narrative that we have at ClearTrip is something that I think we all feel very excited about. And, you know, as I said, I, 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 uh, I and the team, and it's very much the team, um, just feel that, you know, we haven't quite fulfilled the potential of, of ClearTrip and, you know, we have a responsibility to do that. On a personal level, you've also got, we've also got, a, you know, over a thousand people sitting in eight different markets that there's a responsibility to and you know i think making sure that we we put ClearTrip in a position where it can it can you know continue to grow and exist and expand in a, in a logical and sensible way is is important from that perspective as well but you know there are periods where you you know you need to check yourself in the mirror every now and then or you know you, you need someone just to knock some sense into you and you know that's, that's happened less and less more frequently i'd say but certainly has in the past yeah just the last one from me then, Stuart. I mean, do you do you wish in a way that you were kind of starting afresh now, given that there are these kind of large pots of money that people are you know, willing to give travel startups there? I mean, there is a, 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 a fairly well-known and fast-growing uh, India-based accommodation company that seems to be making waves. And, uh, you know, as we know, Ritesh has done quite well in persuading people to give him lots of money. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, do you kind of look on enviously that, you wish you'd had that opportunity back then or are you kind of pleased with the way you've done it? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one that, isn't it? I mean, I think there are periods when, you know, you look over your shoulder a little bit envious of some of the stuff that's, that's going on. Um, 
And you kind of said, look, if I had a fraction of that, what I could do within the business that we built, given, you know, how we built it. But, you know, those are just the realities. And, you know, I think what Ritesh and Gang are doing is extraordinary. And, you know, we'll, we'll where that journey will go, no one knows. But, you know, we're all watching you know, with excitement. Um, yeah, I think I learned a long time ago not to not to get too uh, envious and jealous and just focus on what we have. And, and <laughs> yeah. you know, I think what we have what we have is uh you know an interesting business and if i if i uh if i if i spent my life looking over my shoulder then you know i think my blood pressure would be through the roof so for now i'm 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 healthy and you know happy and and enjoying what we're doing well uh Stuart, i thanks for joining us today i think this has um been super fascinating uh i think for regular listeners they'll be able to tell i've been doing a lot more listening on this podcast than once in the past um <laughs> but anyway uh this has been how i got here mozio and focus wires podcast with kevin may from focus wire and myself david litwack from mozio and thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time thanks Great, right, really enjoyed it thanks so much Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.